John speaks an awful lot about how we live and who we are in Christ. And he's written about such things in John chapter 4, the, the 14th chapter of his gospel. We'll be considering this broader topic now, but let's just pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you'll be gracious to us. Open up your word to us and speak to us. Lord, that we may hear from you. Give us the hearts and the minds to be willing to hear what you say and to put it into practice. Lord, guide what we hear, guide what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you up for a challenge? I'm not up for very physical challenges. If somebody wants me to go out and run in the wet, in the cold, I'm not up for that kind of thing. I certainly wouldn't be able to do a triathlon. Some people are, that's brilliant. But the kind of challenge I'm thinking of is throughout this coming year ahead, the challenge of drawing closer to the Lord, the challenge of addressing areas in our lives that maybe we've just ignored. Often in people's houses, there's a box room or maybe the attic or one part of the house, maybe it's the garage or, or a shed where you know you ought to clear it out, but you just end up putting more stuff in and closing the door. <laughs> and sometimes it can be like that in our Christian lives as well. We find it easier to focus on some things which are really not the big issues in our lives and ignore some things that the Lord really wants us to work on. A few years ago, a writer, Justin Early, wrote about New Year's resolutions and he said it would be better to ditch them and instead to form habits instead of resolutions. He says, don't make resolutions, make habits. There are no changed lives outside of changed habits. And if we want to actually change, we need to take a sober look at where our habits are leading us. Resolutions are great. We can write them down on paper and we can maybe forget about it after we sort of fail to keep them after a while. The way to make resolutions work is to make them habits, to make them part of our routine. Our habits, or how we live, actually say more about us than we realize. They say a lot about what kind of person we are. Our habits are crucial as to who we are and how we live. How we live is actually of of utmost importance. (coughs) The Apostle John writing along these lines, as we've heard in our reading, says that we are connected, habits are connected to how we live. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. And anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. 
That's a really challenging statement. How we live, our habits, how we live, actually says an awful lot about who we are. When people do what is right, and not just doing what is not against the law, or doing what we've got to do to work, but doing what is just, that word implies the, the sense of justice, of righteousness, of righteousness before God, of doing what is right and just. It shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. In other words, actions speak louder than words. Many people call themselves Christians, but what John is saying is that our actions show who we are, not our words. And anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. If we don't love people in whom Christ is dwelling, then we're not loving Christ. Anyone who does not live righteously does not belong to God. That's a real challenge. Our character tells people what kind of person we are. Far more than what we might claim about ourselves. How people live is the measure of whether they are Christ's or not. According to John. Naturally, we're all sinners. Some have done more than others. But we're all in the same boat. Nice people are <coughs> still sinful people, even though they're nicer sinners than others. In, internally in our hearts, we know we ought to do good. We've got God's law written in our hearts and minds. But we find ourselves breaking it. Not all the time, maybe. But to get a criminal record, you just need to be convicted once. You don't need to be convicted every week. And to be a sinner, we just need to sin a little. And we're still in the same boat as others who've maybe done it or not. Thank God by his grace, his external grace, not our internal hearts, but by his external grace, many people are good, relatively good people. But that doesn't mean that they are righteous people. We need our hearts to be changed. And thankfully, when we trust in Christ, we have a new heart. We receive the Holy Spirit inside. The Spirit of holiness. And our relationship with God is no longer defined by our sinful nature and the sinful acts we do. We are forgiven and we are changed. We are in the process of being transformed. One day that will be gone forever. But in the meantime, as Paul reminds us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's something that he writes about again and again, and it's something that we need to hear again and again. That we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit in order to, to walk in the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
It's not just about how we fill our minds with intellectual things. It's not just about gaining more knowledge about the Bible. That is good. But that's not what Paul is thinking of. That's not where we ought to stop. It's we need to have a mindset that is depending upon the Holy Spirit, that is following the leading of the Spirit instead of following our own leading ourselves. It's a mindset that says, God, if that's what you're saying to me, I need to follow it. Instead of a mindset that says, look what God's saying. No, I don't like that. I'm going to continue on. I can't accept that. It's a mindset of humility, of trust, of wanting to draw closer to him. Jesus says that those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Our actions speak louder than our words. And similarly, at the end of the section we were looking at on the series on the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we are Christ's, if we have the Spirit of Christ within us, we need to keep in step with the Spirit as followers of Christ. I had intended to to just finish off the, the series on the fruit of the Spirit with a, a separate sermon, just the last point on this verse. Christmas got in the way. <laughs> and instead of actually finishing it off separately, maybe we'll just cover it in this today as well, because it's pretty much the same topic. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. But what does Paul mean by keeping in step with the Spirit? How ought we to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit? Several years ago, some retired Christians said that for quite a long time in their Christian lives, no one ever spoke about the Spirit. This couple we knew from another church and growing up until they were maybe in their 50s, nobody in their church ever mentioned the Holy Spirit. Then the charismatic movement came along and the Holy Spirit was the focus. For some people, it was, it was the pendulum swung completely the other way. It was nothing but the Spirit. When I first came to the Lord, I remember going between two churches. One was a charismatic church in the morning, on a Sunday morning, and the other was a reformed conservative church in the evenings when I would go to, to visit where Elaine was, was staying. In the morning, the church was almost always about the gifts of the Spirit. And in the evening, there was a much wider range of topics preached on. And I was surprised how they didn't preach about the Spirit that much. And then one evening, the pastor preached about the gifts of the Spirit. And I was sort of wondering, okay, now you're preaching about the Spirit. But I'd expected him to be preaching so much more about it because in the mornings, the church, that was almost as if that's all the Bible contained. But that evening he preached, and I was shocked to find that there was only two main passages in the Bible, plus another two smaller ones that really focused on how the gifts of the Spirit have been given to us. 
in total, you could probably fill no more than two chapters of the New Testament with teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many of Paul's letters are focused with not just the teaching of what Christ has done and who we are, but exhortation to walk in the Spirit, to put away the sinful nature and to walk as disciples of Christ. The second half usually of Paul's letters tend to be focused on how we live. The first parts tend to be on teaching. It's a bit of a generalization. It's not always as as accurate as that. But basically about half of his letters are about how we live. And he's written many letters. John, 1 John, it's about how we live and walk. This is the topic which is the predominant focus in the New Testament, especially in the letters to the churches and individuals. Paul's emphasis is more on holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, than gifts of the Spirit. So it's clear from the context of what Paul says in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, that when he says that we ought to keep in step with the Spirit, he's not got in mind the miracles and spectacular gifts of the Spirit, or even the ordinary gifts of the Spirit. He has in mind our personal sanctification, our growth and holiness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what he's talking about when he says we need to keep in step with the Spirit. He also speaks in a a parallel passage in Romans chapter 8 about being led by the Spirit. And that is about being empowered by the strength of the Spirit. It's about the internal fruit of the Spirit. Who we are, how we are being transformed. Not so much the external gifts of the Spirit which are for the blessing of others. So, why should we be holy? Why is it important to keep pressing on and to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, if we're believers, if we've trusted in Christ, it's just a reality that we are not instantly transformed from, from being sinners into being glorious and perfect we are Christ's and all of that is is ours but we haven't received it yet we still alongside the new nature the Holy Spirit nature within us we have the old sinful nature and so there's this battle going on not just between conscience telling us what's right and wrong unbelievers have that as well even though they only have the sinful nature within this isn't just about doing right and doing wrong. This is about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the old sinful nature. It's a battle deciding how to live by relying on our own strength and sometimes trying to do what's right in our own strength or relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit and relying on the Holy Spirit's strength and power to do what is right. The secret, as Paul makes clear to the Philippians, is he says, 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Christ gives us strength by the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, as we read in a few times, in a few places in the New Testament. Christ strengthening us internally is by the power of his Spirit internally working in us, who empowers us to be able to walk as we ought to, to follow Jesus each day, Suppress the old sinful nature to crucify it in a sense. But yet we're in this battle between the old sinful nature and the new nature. And in order to in order to draw closer to Christ, we need to we need to be aware of this firstly, and we need to be actively involved. Because the minute we stop working that's when we slip into just the old nature. We've got to actively be seeking to follow Christ by walking in the new nature. It's by faith that we come to receive forgiveness and we receive the Holy Spirit and we receive all the promises of Christ. And it's by faith that we walk in the Spirit and keep step with the Spirit. Faith is the basis of our assurance but the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that we are in Christ. Walking in the Spirit. Why should we walk in the Spirit? Well, it's a bit like a learner driver who doesn't really know how a car works, saying, do we really need to fill up a petrol? Or asking, if we want to if we want to get, if we want to search Google, why do we have to be connected to the internet? Can we not just search Google without being connected? We need to be connected to God through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to walk the way we ought to. It's 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 a, one of the basics of the Christian life. Peter quotes from Leviticus eleven forty four, where God says, "You must be holy." Because I am holy. It's not optional. It's a requirement. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We are forgiven. We are reconciled to the Father in order to be holy and blameless. In truth, we are, in our standing, holy and blameless before him. In a sense, legally, we are holy and blameless before him. We are forgiven. But in terms of our experience, we need to walk in that more and more. John encourages us to look forward to Christ's second coming. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We look at ourselves, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see what looks like the old person. But that's not how we will be. We will be in glory. We will be glorified. We will be transformed in in a similar way to how Jesus was transformed uh, at the transfiguration. He went up the mountain and the, the three disciples saw him in his glory. We will be seen in the glory that has been promised to us. And so with this hope, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If somebody's going in for, let's say, a big audition, they practice. They practice their singing, they practice their musical playing. If somebody's going in for the Olympics, they practice. We ought to practice what we will be doing with Christ in glory. We ought to live now in the light of the future which is still to come. When we are perfected, the theologians call this this glorification. When we we are glorified, when, when there's no longer sin or anything fallen or any part of our old sinful nature, our old body, everything, all gone. That will happen when Christ comes. We, we haven't got all of that yet, but it is ours nevertheless. Just as when a child maybe inherits a f- it's the inheritance, a fortune maybe. Sadly, if their parents may die at a, at a young age, when the child is maybe five or ten, they're not given the bank account and the checkbook to do what they like. They have to wait till they're 18. Then they will inherit it. Then they will get it all. It's held in trust for them. And it's the same with us. When we go to be with the Lord, we will receive the fullness of what is ours. It's held in trust. And the Holy Spirit is the deposit at the moment. When Christ appears like he did on the transfiguration, so too we will shine brightly as his glory shines in us. Then we will see the fullness of what it is to trust in Christ, to be justified by faith, to receive the gift of God. And John tells us that because of this future reality, we ought to live in the light of that here and now. (coughs) So what practical steps can we take Well, firstly, we need to place our faith in Christ. That's a prerequisite. It's not enough to be better than average. It's not enough to be good. We need to be righteous before God. It's only when we throw off our sinful works and our relatively good works, it's only when we cast all of what we have done, all our works, bad and good, at the foot of the cross, and trust in Christ alone for our righteousness. It's when we trust in him for our new nature and our promises for the future. It's only then that we can start to walk in the spirit, having received the spirit and that new birth in our hearts. If we haven't 
trusted in him yet, if we haven't handed over our lives to him, if we haven't submitted to him as Lord, if we haven't received <clears throat> the gift of salvation, then all it takes is a simple prayer, asking for God's forgiveness, entrusting our lives to Christ. As the, the tax collector who went into the temple to pray said, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. He went to the place where sins were atoned for, the temple. We go to what that signified. We go to the cross directly. And we ask for forgiveness. And it's as simple as that. Let me just read a wee verse from John chapter 3. We're all familiar with John 3.16. For God loved the world in such a way that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But the verse before that looks back to when the Israelites were in the desert. There were snakes. They were killing them. They were deadly. The venom was deadly. Anyone who was bitten would die. They called out to God. He told Moses, put a bronze snake up on a pole and just hold it up in the middle of the camp and tell them that anyone who looks to that will be healed. And when people were bitten and looked at that snake held up on a pole, they were, forget- they were healed. And so, in John 3, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. All it takes is a look to the cross in faith trusting and believing in Jesus and we have the gift of eternal life we don't have to do anything more we can't do anything more that would help that would take away from the gift and yet how many people have looked to the cross and been forgiven and yet haven't changed much their transformation is not really progressing They're still the same this year as last year. And sometimes not much different than before they came to Christ. We don't know everyone's heart, only the Lord knows the heart. Sometimes we wonder if they're believers at all. The Lord knows who's who. But if there is the fruit of the Spirit, we can say with more confidence, yes, there's the Lord at work in their lives. Someone once asked the question, if you were up in court and you were in the dock and you were accused, accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If the prosecutor was to look for evidence that you were a Christian, how hard would it be for them to find evidence? Would there be enough evidence to, would there be the fruit of the Spirit that would actually prove that you are a Christian? Sadly, for too many people who go to church, who take the name of Christ, they do so in vain. There isn't the evidence there. For others who genuinely have the name of Christ, well, 
there's more wood, hay and stubble than gold and precious stones, as Paul uses the analogy. There's far too much of the old life and not enough of the new life. It's not enough to say we know an awful lot about the Bible and to, to be proud that we, we know the Bible inside out or are very theological in our conversations or ability. That's head knowledge. If it doesn't trickle down from our head into our heart and change our character, then it's just head knowledge. Too many people who've trusted in Christ have the idea that they are righteous and don't need to change. There's no sin in their lives at all. And they don't accept the fact that there's still this battle between the old sinful nature and the new nature. They assume that everything they do is righteous and perfect. And they're oblivious to the fact that a lot of time what they do is not righteous and perfect. We need to be transformed. Too many songs we find today are, have this phrase, we've been transformed. But that's not accurate. We can't sing that. In a sense, we've been transformed from the realm of darkness into light. But in terms of walking in holiness, that's another matter. We are still being transformed. We need to put aside self. We need to let Jesus shine through us. We need to be not self-righteous, self-focused, self-opinionated, self-willed, self-centered. Self comes out in so many different ways. Instead, we ought to be humble, other person focused. After all, we were created to love others, to love God and to love our neighbor. Self was never in it. We ought to be humble, willing to change our views, our habits, our outlook, our focus, willing to be molded into the character of Christ. God is compared in the, <clears throat> the Bible a few times to being the potter, and we are the clay. When a potter is molding something on the potter's wheel, the clay has to be moldable, it has to be soft, it has to be pliable. It has to be able to be changed into the shape that the potter wants to make it. We need to be able to be changed. We need to be pliable. We need to allow God to work with us, to change us. Sadly, too many people are fixed. I'm not changing. They're just totally resistant to God changing their lives. And too many believers, sadly the same last year as the year before this year and not much different from when they weren't a believer. We need to be not hard-hearted. We need to be pliable, moldable in God's hands. It's painful. It's humbling. And yet it becomes easier over time. Sometimes people look at old Christians who seem so godly and peaceful and think, I would just like to be like them. I struggle. When God says something, I sometimes don't want to do it. And 
have this real battle, people, you know, we often find. But we look at other people and say, well, they, they find it so easy. I wish I was like them. But we don't realize they were once where we were. In order to get where they are, we need to work with God. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. And in time, even though we're struggling with different things, maybe 10 years down the line than we did now, people might look at us and say, I wish I was where they are. And it all happens by making little choices, little changes, by allowing God to change us a little here and a little there. And over time, big changes happen. We need to actively put to death our old sinful nature as if putting it on a cross each day and walk in the strength of the Spirit following Jesus. Jen Wilkin writes, We will not wake up ten years from now and find we have passively taken on the character of God. It doesn't happen just passively. It happens as we walk more closely with him day by day. Responding to her comment, Tim Challies writes that expecting 10 years from now to be more godly just without having done anything, that's impossible and unrealistic. But sinful and lazy, if we wish to have the character of God, we must apply ourselves to the word and allow it to shape and mold us until we are conformed to his image. So let's get into God's word. Let's let his word transform us. Let's keep in step with the spirit as we respond to his word as we ought to. Let me just finish with a couple of verses from a poem. To the potter's house I went down one day and watched him while molding the vessels of clay and many a wonderful lesson I drew as I noted the process the clay went through. Trampled and broken, downtrodden and rolled, to render more plastic and fit for the mould. How like the clay that is human, I thought, when in heavenly hands to perfection brought. For self must be cast as the dust at his feet, before it is ready for service made meet. And pride must be broken, and self-will lost all laid on the altar, whatever the cost. Let's be willing to step outside of our comfort zone. Take up a daily devotional habit, practice, if we haven't done it before. Let's break out of ingrained habits, of patterns of disobedience. Let's step outside our comfort zone. Let's do what Jesus would do, what he wants us to do. Let's draw closer to him. Let's not be stuck in a spiritual rut. Let's allow the spirit to mold us. And let's keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to us. Lord, these words are challenging and yet reassuring. This isn't impossible. This is doable. Help us, Lord, simply to be willing and to follow your lead. Lord, help us to be obedient 
to draw close to you. And Lord, help us to look forward. Help us to anticipate that holiness which will be ours when we are glorified. Help us to live in the light of that now, more and more, to your glory. Amen.